Peter, how are you? I'm good. Just a second. I'm trying to um, get this to come through my headset instead of my laptop. Sure thing. I've got, to be honest, I was like, this never works when you get two people through one channel on the radio desk. The levels are going to be wildly different. But in this case, you both sound not only uh, incredibly attractive, but perfectly even nice. level wise. This is the only time we are level, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my name is Steve Joel. I'm a big fan of Warhammer 40,000 and a radio host. I really want to hear the passport story. Oh, I, God. Which passport story? Because now we both have one. Oh, you That's both true, have one. Actually. Peter, I think the, I know yours. The, the vowel one is the better one. We'll, we'll tell the whole story then. This series of podcasts on the Frontline Gaming Network is a chance for us to meet the people who have changed the way we interact with 40K. From the way we play and paint to the way we create and consume content. I want you to meet the game changers. We won't, we won't spoil the lead because it, it's, uh, it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. Okay, well, maybe we'll get both passport stories. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode three, in which we'll get to know two people who've put a lot of time into helping us understand the statistics of 40K. Us nerds love numbers, and Val and the Falcon are the very best at bringing those numbers to us. So, let's introduce them properly. My guests, plural today, are both incredibly well-known men. We're going to start with Val Heffelfinger, second place with Orcs at Warzone Atlanta. 2018, he was the 28th best Orc player in the entire world. One of Canada's best known and most loved Heffelfingers. Val, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's such a, a, a delight and an honor to be here. And I went into that LVO uh, second place, Orcs. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you? Okay, well, we can get to that. Uh, and <laughs> alongside him, of course, Peter Colosimo, known as the Falcon, has since, I want to say the middle, certainly in 2018, been running a website called 40K Stats, and then in 2019 joined with Val to bring us 40K Stats Center. The Falcon has revolutionized the way we're able to break down the game of 40K and introduced us to the phrase T-Whip which we'll get to. Peter, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. Let's rock straight into this, and I'll start with you, Val. How did you two crazy kids meet? Uh, we met, I think, essentially, I heard that there was a, some weirdo who uh, kept messaging Pablo in our, in our chapter tactics chat, and, uh, and then uh, I believe, eventually, uh, we got a look at one of the first data sets that, that Pete came up with, which was for the, the BAO, if I remember correctly. And uh, essentially, I looked at it, and uh, we had Pete on the show. And from there, I said, uh, if we don't add him to our show, someone else will. So let's put him on Chapter Tactics, and that's it. I think that's how we met. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's it. I had uh, done the uh, like a full stats breakdown for the BAO uh, in 2018 um, for Pablo, and uh, yeah, they, you you guys invited me on the show, and uh, it all came. It's all really because of your that year's January show that you guys did where I was sitting alone in a airport tower in the middle of the night trying to find something to do, tuned into Chapter Tactics um, for a uh, first-ever statistics episode, and I got to listen to Val and Pablo um, wax poetic um, about numbers they didn't quite fully understand uh, <laughs> because there wasn't a whole lot to it at the time. Right. I, I thought to myself, nobody's doing this. That doesn't make any sense. 
And I kind of went on a bit of a, a mission. I started talking to Pablo about it, and the rest is kind of history. So was was the website up and running at that stage already? Had you been crunching numbers at that point, or did, is that what launched you on the idea of, okay, I want to start having a look at the numbers properly and breaking them down? Uh, it, it, this is what launched me. I didn't start the site until after BAO, so it okay. was because um, when I started uh, talking to Pablo, part of it was I didn't know if anybody was actually doing this, and this was just a, like Chapter Tactics just isn't fully into it yet or what, so I wanted to do my research. I didn't want to step on anybody's toes, and once I realized that literally nobody was, was you know breaking this stuff down I uh, and that we had the tools to do it, I just figured why not go for it. So. Yeah, we, we'll come back to... Uh, the origins of the website and then moving into the podcast. But uh, I want to uh, go back prior to that, Val, with you. Talk me through the heady days of 2017, 2018, when you were smashing all comers on the competitive circuit. Uh, Warzone Atlanta was kind of the culmination of that, but but you had some great RTT results before that uh, with your orcs. Talk me through your competitive days in 7th and 8th. Mr. Joel, um, before we get a lot of angry emails claiming, uh, wondering why you're spreading lies on this show. I just want to be very clear here. Anytime that I won something, which were mostly RTTs, uh, this is before Art of War, Nick Nanavati's out there telling people how to play 40K. In those days, it was controversial to even go to tournaments. You know, it was, it was, so I was able to win RTTs then. I don't really have that opportunity anymore because everyone got so much better at this game. I don't know if you guys noticed that. <laughs> you, you, um, you won based on some nice guy points too at, at Warzone. Oh, yeah. but yes. <laughs> Not only did I – I have still have to correct the record there. I actually by default wound up winning first place in that major because they based it on uh, the overall score. They gave the ITC points to the overall winner. And the guy in front of me, who's actually a good friend of mine, uh, he got DQ'd, unfortunately, due, due to a list mishap. So I wound up in first place. So actually, I've I've won a major by accident uh, in a major that awarded it to uh, the the best overall, which included hobby and sportsmanship scores. Got the sports scores by literally giving every American there a bottle of maple syrup. Went a long way. <laughs> See, I've read I've read these self-effacing things before, but the fact is, you've got to get yourself into a position where you're where you're at or near the top. Uh, anyway, oh. so you must have played pretty good. I think I think uh, well I lost to uh, to to Twitchell who's or Twitch down there uh, who's who's a, a known good player in the in the in the southeast and uh, well you know I, I went three and zero at the time it was the best I'd personally done I was super excited about that and then I beat uh, a very hungover Adam Abramowitz <laughs> in the uh, in the fifth round in a pretty epic game so right. you know it was a great it was it was a kind of what I had been hoping for it was sort of my miracle run. If I knew that if I'd ever want, if I was ever gonna make it at the, into the top of a GT, it would require some uh, incredibly lucky bounces, and I got them. And heck, I really loved it. Yeah, well, I bet. And it's you know, no one can take it away. Does it taint people's opinion of you though when they find out you also played Tau? <laughs> well, I mean, I was uh, surprised when I read it. It's, they've been sold. They've they've uh, they've they've moved on to uh, to an extent. Basically, real life Trazen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so there's a there's a, a very fabulous collector uh, uh, down south who, uh, who who picked up the entire collection. It was it was very large and, uh, and and very pretty. But I moved on from them because they were cursed, absolutely cursed army for me. And yeah, uh, yeah. so the, there was no there was no good. It was it was it was not great or good at all. It was all, all bad. It takes a it takes a not that we want to go too far down this uh, path, but it does take a certain type of person, a certain mindset to really play Tau very well. 
um, and which is why probably only a, a handful of people have done it. But that's uh, true. I, I think one of the reasons why also I'm very self-effacing about you know any times where I've I've had a, a good showing in a tournament or, or whatever. A, they don't happen very often. But B, the people who are actually really good at this game work super hard at it, right? And it's not you know they don't necessarily require luck or or, or a good bounce to get to where they go. So. I don't know. I just have a lot of respect for the people who are very good at this game just because it's, it's actually very, very difficult. So it looks like, uh, obviously, and from what Peter was just saying before and you, that you were part of the whole podcasting circuit, you know, way before the Falcon came on the scene. So h- how did you get involved in podcasting uh, and, get, and get involved with Pablo and those guys? Well, I think Pablo and I were friends on Facebook because I, I tended to, uh, to to reach out to everyone who I listen to on podcasts. And so I'd reached out to him, and so we were friendly, and I'd, I'd met him uh, at my first LBO, which may have been 2017. Um, and then, um, essentially, uh, he heard me on a very local podcast here called, oh, shoot, I can't remember, uh, Inches and Cubes is what it was called. It's a Toronto podcast, sort of a hobby-based one. And they were always ragging on competitive players in tournaments. And so they were always just... just going off about stuff that, that they also didn't really get. Like, they didn't understand right. how the tournament scene worked, what ITC was, all that stuff. So I reached out to them and I said, hey, um, can I come on and just sort of speak on the other side so that, you know, people who might go to a tournament aren't turned off by you guys and, and I could also share with you what tournaments are all about. And I did that. And Pablo heard that and we used the actual show notes from that local show to do another show for Chapter Tactics. And then my second appearance was actually driving triumphantly down the highway uh, he was desperate for a guest, so he called me, and I talked about Warzone Atlanta. And then shortly thereafter, he brought on regular co-hosts. So it was uh, right. uh, me, the late great Jeff Robinson, and uh, Sean uh, Abuse Puppy Morgan. It's probably worth taking a moment here to explain who Pablo is, because we've heard the name a couple of times. If you're a regular at the Frontline Gaming Network, you'll already know Pablo, or Petey Pub as the host of Chapter Tactics. It's one of the longest running and most popular 40K podcasts there is. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Okay, back to my guests, Val Heffelfinger and Peter Colosimo, or as he's also known, the Falcon. So um, let's go over to, to Peter now. Where does it, First of all, where does the name the Falcon come from? Um, so that's um, an old joke from, oh, I don't know, probably about... 10 years ago now, um, my old uh, club at our at our LGS back in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, um, we play every Tuesday night and then we'd go for, you know, wings and beers at uh, one of the local sports bars and uh, just chat for the rest of the night away, um, probably 10, 15, 20 of us every Tuesday. And uh, there was this one particular week where we got into it about giving yourself your own nickname and uh, how you, it's just not possible. And I was like, I'm sure in a, in a world of social media that I can give myself my own nickname and it's going to be friggin' awesome. And uh, so I called myself the Falcon. I changed my name on Facebook. Unfortunately, back then, you couldn't, um, if you changed your name too many times, you couldn't change it back. Right. Um, so it got stuck as uh, Peter Falcon Colosimo. 
Um, and then just over the course of years, as I met new people, um, people had just started calling me that as they assumed it was my middle name or something else. And um, it kind of stuck. And so when Pablo and I started chatting on Facebook and through email, um, he also thought it was like my middle name or something. So he just started calling me that. And um, it's stuck now. So now that's what everybody calls me in the kind of 40K world. At first, I wasn't... a like a big fan, um, but I've grown into it. I've grown into all the cacas and, yeah. and other weird uh, noises I get when I go to events. Um, so yeah, it's 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 now my thing. I'm now the Falcon, and uh, uh, the nickname that I I said I would be able to give myself. I did. Now, am I right in thinking that you live in the Canada we all think of when we think of Canada, which is to say northern and snowy and remote? Yes. So about four years ago, um, I moved to northern Alberta for a career change, and it's as, as north as you can get. I'm on the border of the Northwest Territories, just shy of the 60th parallel. Um, for, the, for the listeners, it's minus uh, 40 degrees Celsius outside right now, um, same Fahrenheit. So it's, it's a little chilly, um, but it's okay. I like it here. Really? To a degree. That, yeah. Wow. Okay, so how do you get to play 40K in that environment? I mean, even when COVID isn't ravaging the world and ruining things for everyone, are other people in your neighbourhood playing? You can't just walk down the road and play Garage Hammer with somebody, surely. Oh, I can. Uh, well, that's what I used to do pre-COVID. Um, we had a little club here. It's um, it's the reason why I kind of kept into 40K. When I lived on the East Coast, I was kind of into everything. I had like an Infinity Army, War Machine Hordes. I had everything. And when I found out this was going to be my posting... I kind of did some research to see what kind of war games, if any, anybody played up here um, so I could keep up some kind of hobby. And um, I found a little uh, gaming club that played on top of a Greyhound station um, every, uh, every couple weekends. And uh, so I messaged them. They said they basically exclusively played 40K. So I sold the rest of my armies, kept my 40K stuff. And um, so for the first you know, two and a half, three years I was here, Every second Sunday or so, I would head on over to the bus station or over to one of the guys' places uh, into their garage, and we'd play, uh, you know, throw down a game. That's amazing. Um, this actually seems like a pretty good – we promised the, the passport story, z, plural. Uh, this seems like a good place to maybe kick off with yours, Pete, and then we'll come to uh, Val. <laughs> I can't believe we both got a great passport story. But can we hear yours first? Because I think the remoteness of where you live is a big part of the story. Yeah, sure. So – um, well, it would have been about a year ago now. I got invited to Charity Hammer, um, which is a, a yearly event run by um, the Best in Faction podcast. They have a number of streamers and uh, competitive players head on down to Washington State, and we all get together for like a large RTT and just like a stream of Palooza of, of games at uh, Colin Sherman's house um, and it, to generate money for Child's Play Charity. And uh, so Colin invited me last year to go. I was pretty excited. I, um, but for me to travel anywhere, even though I do work at an airport, because we're so remote, it's hard to get places. I have to drive about eight and a half hours to an actual international airport um, in order to, to go. So when I go to any event, I start with an eight-hour drive, wow. and then I get on an airplane. So I, I was working the night before I was supposed to fly to Seattle. I left the airport. I had already had my bags packed called my wife, let her know, and then I just immediately like left and drove to Edmonton, um, eight hours south of me. Um, the whole drive down, I kept thinking I'd forgotten something. <laughs> Big blizzard as well. Um, at one point, I got stuck behind a guy that decided to tow a shed on the highway for like an hour. So like it was like the worst drive I've taken in a long time, in the middle of a blizzard, 
awful, awful experience. It sounds like every Canadian-based film ever, by the way, to me. (laughs) So I pull into Edmonton, and as soon as I, I got there, I saw the sign for the airport, and I thought, you know what? I have to go to the United States, and you need a passport to do that now. It's 11 o'clock at night, kind of in full panic mode because I have to catch a plane at 6 in the morning. Um, so I call my wife. I'm like, hey, can you please check this bag that I left in the bedroom? She's like, yeah, uh, your passport's here. I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I thought. There were some swear words, um, some choice comments. I hung up with her, and I started trying to formulate, like, how am I going to do this? Do I just turn around and drive eight hours back? And then turn around and drive, you know, basically drive 24 hours so that I can make a flight to Seattle. Um, How do I handle this? Um, Now, luckily, I do work in an airport, so I managed to make a few phone calls to the uh, airport authority up here, like the manager that I knew. Um, And they called one of the companies that does kind of semi-regular flights to Edmonton for um, medevac purposes to, like, fly sick people, etc., and uh, they were like, yeah, we have a planned flight tomorrow. Um, we can take his passport. So I had my wife basically drive the, my passport out to a coworker who was going to work the next morning. He drove it into the airport. They gave it to the pilot the next morning, and uh, they flew it to me in Edmonton. I had to move my flight uh, a couple hours and upgrade to first class. It was the only seat available. Um, wow. That morning while I was waiting to get the uh, passport, um, my buddy who was working called me, and he's like, we're in the middle of a big snowstorm up here now. The one that you drove through is is stuck over us. I don't think any planes are going to land. So I spent probably two hours in the like wee, out, uh, wee morning in Edmonton watching the weather and waiting to see if this pilot was even going to be able to depart. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I pulled a, a whole rigmarole. You made it. And I remember yeah. following all of that on Facebook uh, at the time, just <laughs> what a remarkable uh, commitment it is to get to this charity event. I mean, it's, you know, it was amazing. Val, you've got a, a passport story as well, uh, about which I know nothing, so we're all going into this cold. Okay, well, this, this I think, has got to be one of, like, the original uh, Warhammer 40,000-related uh, passport stories. So let's see, if, let's see if I can do it some justice, because living through it was an absolute nightmare. And I think it's, this is actually the source of where a lot of my uh, my, my 40K self-consciousness comes from. Uh, because you just can't take yourself seriously after this happens. So <clears throat> I uh, was selected to the Canadian ETC team, the European Team Championships, now the WTC back in 2017. Uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty excited to go. And it was also a good opportunity to do what I called the Warhammer World Tour. Um, and uh, I kicked it off in Southport uh, at the uh, Southwest Open. And I ran into Ennis Wilson. And then uh, I continued along over to Nottingham, um, you know, visited with, with some friends there, got to see Warhammer World. It was awesome. Moved on to London, stayed overnight with another member of Team Scotland, whose alias online is Sicky Rims. Nice. And, um, and we woke up the following morning, and I went to, uh, to, to leave, and I went to where um, my passport should have been, and I wasn't there. And I, I started panicking because, you know, we got, I think it's about four days Ish till uh, till you know the ETC kicks off and you know you want to you want to show up there and <laughs> represent your country. You don't want to be missing. But luckily, I'm in I'm in London, so you know if there's a place to to lose your passport as a Canadian, I know exactly where to go. Canada House is Trafalgar Square, so real easy to sort it out. So I hightail it down uh, down to uh, towards downtown. I get to the office and they're open for like three hours a day, like eleven to two or something. Yeah. So I show up at 
and didn't have enough time to process my application because I also had to get everything signed. So they gave me this stack of paperwork and said, just come back tomorrow, first in the morning. We'll get it processed. You'll have a passport in time. Don't worry. I said, okay, cool. Uh, so then I, um, I went... Um, you know, by this time I put out a few distress calls. Uh, I, I have a, a friend who vouched for my Canadianness, and I got my stuff, documents filled out and stuff. And I went and I met up with a, a person who knew me from Chapter Tactics. He was a, a fellow investment business guy, and this guy is like six and a half feet tall, like just an Adonis, and like just a very gregarious dude. And he he slams, I I don't know, we drink like five or six pints in the span of like ninety minutes, and I'm wasted. And he's like, righto. Back to work, and he just like <laughs> just skips to my loo down the street. I look down, I realize that it's it's like five o'clock, so the embassy's closed. I no longer have my clothes, um, which is great. Um, so I uh, and this, I'm gonna name drop two guys ride to my to my distress call and hang out with me that night, and it's none other than none other than Lawrence Baker and B Bone, oh, who are just in dis- disbelief. Just such nice guys are, are and decide to get drunk with me that night even more. I get, I get to this, like, Airbnb in a very terrifying place at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, pass out, wake up. Next morning, I'm late. I got a race to the thing. I get it all set up. I get all my documentation in, give it to them. And then they're like, come back at, you know, the 2 o'clock, and we'll have the passport for them. I'm like, great. And they look at me, and they're like, go go home. Have a shower. You know, <laughs> take care of yourself. And I'm like, all right. And I get my clothes, and I go back. And so I get back to this very sketchy Airbnb, and... I'm like, Whew. and uh, and I just I take my my shoes off, and just something clicks in my head, and so I, I I look down at my shoes and I pick them up, and I wear orthotics, and so I I, I look at my shoe and I pull the orthotic out, and my passport <laughs> had been in my shoe the whole time. Oh man, that is good. Oh wow, but then and, you wouldn't yeah. have had the opportunity to catch up with Lawrence and B Bone. I was a bit sheepish because they, they, I think, you know, you know, they probably had other things to do than hang out with some random fan from the internet. So, <laughs> so I had to sheepishly tell everyone, including Team Canada, which I was close. It was like the last, I was standby for the last possible flight I could catch to make it to the ETC. So and I, and I got that last spot just barely to get to, um, we were flying to Zagreb. Um, and then, uh, just as an epilogue, um, perhaps I was a bit rattled. And under practiced, um, and I, I, I scored six points in the entire tournament. Uh, and the irony is that had I not made it to the ETC, it would have made zero difference because uh, I basically was the equivalent of no one being there in the first place. Right. So, <laughs> um, well, you know what? We're we're thirty minutes into this nearly, and we haven't even started to talk about the the most important things, which is the. The uh, website and then the podcast, which we kind of touched on earlier on. So, uh, Pete, I want to ask you uh, if we can get into the serious stuff. How many hours do you spend crunching numbers for the website and then the podcast? Um, I mean, COVID has definitely helped in the hours perspective. Um, pre, Pre-COVID last year, I was spending, I would say, about 20 hours a week uh, crunching numbers. Um, we had so many events going on. Uh, week to week, you, we were usually sitting at five to six GTs and or majors. Um, so to manually go in, check every list, make sure that they were uh, what they said they were, uh, get all the data that I needed to, to um, you know, make sure everything was accurate. Yeah, it was about 20 hours a week. 
Which is, uh, you know, when you're going into this, you're putting 20 hours a week into something. Is this a passion project or at that point, do you have a goal of turning it into uh, something that can make money? What's the idea at that stage? It's just passion. Um, I've never really wanted to make money off it. I do have a Patreon, but I don't really, you know, push it or anything because it's not really, it's not been about that. I always felt like if I'm, if I made it about money, it would become too much like a job and then I wouldn't want to do it anymore. I gotta say there's probably way easier ways to make money. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm and like I, I'm I'm a I live a comfortable life as it is. I don't need a, a a bunch of extra money from from doing this. So I just I did it because I uh, and I've always said it since I started. Like I'm doing this until people start doing it better. Um, and so that's the hope is that like by doing this and we've already seen it right. We've seen Goonhammer is putting out these excellent articles where they go so in depth on statistical significance and bringing up like finer details than I'll, I would ever really be able to do unless I wanted to spend 40 or 50 hours uh, going in depth. And then um, we've got down under pairings and best coast pairings releasing their own kind of uh, their own statistics. So we're getting there. Um, but that's always been my thing was like I do this because, you know, some someday someone will do it better. Is the passion still there for it, though, after, I don't know, how many weeks of how many hours? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get, I mean, I get doldrums, I'll call it, um, usually right after LVO, because LVO, uh, the two LVOs I've done, they, they're such a big deal that I try to do more, probably too much. So that's when I go and I, like, break down units and I'll I'll count out, you know, how many units of everything did people take? How did they perform on average? Like, I break down in far greater detail than I would anything else. And you're looking at six or 700 lists um, doing that for. So like for a single LVO, I'll spend probably about 30 hours of just making sure I've got all of the data correct before I even get into the statistical analysis. And then the, the analysis that comes after that about like the hypotheticals, etc. cetera. Um, so usually the week or two after LVO, I really don't want to do anything. And you can see it in the website. You'll notice like all of a sudden there's no updates for like two weeks. And it's just cause I'm, I'm just like, I need a minute. And then I get back into it. Something will always spark me back into it. Like, oh, we really need to know what's going on with this or et cetera, et cetera. Right. I feel like if you were doing it for money, then obviously, uh, that might be, that might be different, right? There would have been times where you would have gone, no, I'm out. This isn't making enough or doing enough. But the fact that it is a passion project and still you are passionate about it means you're able to kind of keep on going even through things like COVID, which must have been difficult. Yeah, it definitely was. There was a lot of questions I had for myself about it, um, about how do I maintain like the statistical rigor that I want, um, you know, in a time when there's not very many events. Also, like, is what I'm doing highlighting events that shouldn't be happening, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of that um, that goes through my mind when I'm when I'm putting the the data together for this. Um, the fact that there has been less events has meant it's been a bit of a break, which has helped me in, in other ways where I can think uh, like um, about things a little differently. I can focus more on uh, on expanding the analytics side. Um, when I first started, I, was, I wasn't very confident about the analytics side from my experience. I was always like, I'm a statistician. I'm going to provide numbers and observations, and then I'll leave it up to um, all the other people in the world, if they want to use this, that they can extrapolate. But as I've, ex- as I've spent more and more time consuming 40K, talking to all these players, learning the stories, which is really why it's a passion project for me, is because there's so many good stories in this game right. um, that the stats back up. Um, that I've been able to, you know, to become a much better analyst than I, I ever thought I'd be able to be. So that's kind of where I've moved. 
Uh, Val, I want to bring you in here at this point as well because I know you had the same uh, misgivings perhaps during COVID that you, and in fact, this is why the podcast took a break, right? You didn't want to be seen to be encouraging people, or not even seen to be, that's harsh. You didn't want to be encouraging people to attend uh, tournaments or events at which they might be putting other people's lives in danger. Or their own. Um, Yeah, I think there was certainly... um you know, when when the first things that really shut down, I don't know what it was like down there, but up here, some of the first uh, organizations to take action were the professional sports leagues. They were the 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 the, the, pan, the the sort of quarantine era phase didn't really start until the NBA said, you know, we're not playing anymore. A couple guys got sick and they, they shut it down. So I was pushing behind the scenes a little bit to say, hey, why don't we pause the ITC? You know, I think it's it's kind of inappropriate that you know you can even do this, um, and I've felt very strongly and Pete did too that you know even if there were events to cover because they really everyone did pretty much shut down for a long long stretch there uh, that it really wasn't appropriate uh, timing wise to, to mm. be talking about it plus the excitement's kind of <laughs> a right. little bit uh, muted if um, you know it's 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 the backdrop to it is this uh, horrible thing that's happening now uh, and I know it's different everywhere, different in different parts of the world, certainly where I am different to where you are and in the States and in the UK, which is going through, as we're recording, a a pretty tough time at the moment. But with Mm -hmm. events now happening again, are you guys feeling that the time is right? I know you've had a couple of episodes, but the time is right to kind of ramp things back up or are we still kind of feeling our way with that a little bit? I think we ramped and then decided we shouldn't. Right. Um, Like there was a period there where like there were things out of control, but there was enough control in most areas. You know, most of the world had opened back up. We saw a lot of events in the UK, in Sweden, in Canada, parts of the US that were a little bit safer than others. Um, and we felt like, okay, we can do a few episodes because there's a bunch of events happening. Mm-hmm. Just the one thing we're going to do is just make sure that they're at least kind of doing the the you know the bare minimums that they're forcing. Uh, social distancing, that they're you know doing the hand sanitizer business, all everything they can do. Mask um, for my, masks, that was my yeah, uh, mask was, was yeah. a big one. Um, so we we kind of we looked at that. We did it for a few weeks, but you know things started getting crazy again. Yeah, like Sweden shut down, um, Australia shut down very briefly as well. Um, Canada has been getting really bad. So we we backed it off. We were like, no, we can't. We can't, in good conscience, do this just mm. in case. It's we like we're not going to judge other people for you know wanting to do the thing they love, but we're we're not going to focus on it until we're, like things are in a better place. Now maybe there's a week where Australia has like six majors because they're feeling pretty safe, and we say okay, maybe we can cover something here. But I don't think I think we'll just kind of hold off until everything's in a better spot. It's something we discuss pretty regularly about like what's what's a good angle here, yeah, um, without making it like. When when things got really bad the first time, the reason why Val and I really ended up like putting a hold to things was we were getting messages from people like the final week or two before everyone really decided maybe we should shut down, where people were like, yeah, man, we're we're having an event. It got canceled at our current venue, but we're going to hold it somewhere else. Um, I hope you guys cover it. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel good if one of the reasons, even if it's the smallest purpose, but if even one of the small reasons why you want to keep this up is to possibly get like on our show. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I don't like that. It didn't feel good. And also, like me personally, like aside from the COVID stuff, I don't know when there's when there's not when there isn't like this big charge to the end, which is which is sort of what we got to do last year. You know, we we were tracking just towards the end of the vessel era of 2019 right. and, and into the rise of uh, 
Richard Siegler there, and it was super exciting. And there were so many events, and like there's just this, uh, you know, it was a really contagious enthusiasm for the game. Poor choice of words, Val. Um, but you know, it was it, it was just it's super exciting. And then now, yeah. you know, we are come we're going to come to an end, and yeah, someone will win it. But eh, you know, there's some pretty big asterisks there. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, it's um, not the same feel as as the big exciting yeah. run to the finish line from last year. Hundred percent, understand yeah. what you're and saying. We are closer to the end than we are the beginning at this point, right? So I think I think there is a lot to be said about okay, let's let's get ready for what's next. I'm speaking to Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon of 40K Stat Center, and in a minute we'll find out about their next very big project. Before that, there's the small matter of dealing with Facebook. Uh, there's one other thing I want to touch on, which I see happening time and time again on particularly Facebook. Uh, when you've dissected thousands of games and crunched millions of minute detailed numbers and then established patterns over however many tournaments and you write about it, how does it then feel to you when some guy posts a link saying your numbers are wrong based on his one game against Necrons that he won easily, therefore you're full of it? Is, is do you feel anything about that? Does it bother you in any way? You know what it? I think it did a little bit early, but not over much. Um, so something that I've really tried to focus on is that data, like data, is data. It's everywhere. And even though you know I spend all this time crunching thousands of games and putting this this stuff together, um, like all these stories mean something. Um, so. Even if you are the guy that played three games, you went second every time you won all all three with uh, Craft World Eldar in ninth edition, so they're not bad. Um, I just want to have that conversation more than anything else. The only time I get frustrated is when the person doesn't want to communicate. Right. That's it. So when people say stuff like that, like it's part of the reason why I started the site, right? So that it, when someone says, "Man, um, orcs are terrible," I can say that's an interesting observation where are you getting that data from? And they say, you know, well, I play orcs, I lose all the time. And then I say, okay, well, hey, orcs have won four of the last six events. Here's some numbers for you. Um, what do you think? There's, it's, it doesn't, it, like, there's a, there's a certain amount of ignorance where it will get to me. Um, but I think as long as they're willing to have the conversation, I, I, can, I can pull it out. Right. Um, and more often than not, I've found like when I come down and I like and I hate to say it like that, but when I come in and I say, hey, like here's some some numbers. More often than not, they're willing to have that conversation, or they'll say, you know, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, I still don't feel it, and then I say, well, you know, okay, that's fine. It, like I see where you're getting your data. It's very it, to me, it's a limited set. It's a a um, anecdotal set, um, but there is some value to anecdotes. There's definitely like very good players that disagree with uh, things that I have to say based on my stats because they feel um, particularly like a COVID era where they haven't got, where they don't get out. Right. They, they have their own mini metas that they've set up so they can say, well, I don't think orcs are good because I just, I destroy them and I'm a good player. Um, there's like there, there's different ways to look at the data is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And it's, and it's okay to do that. It's just be willing to accept like a bigger pool. That's the big thing about data analysis is um, you you never have the full story, but you want to get as much of it as possible before you you say something. That's what I always try to get to people to do. Like look at everything before you say this is good, this is bad. The the other thing I wanted to uh, touch on though um, was I want to say about a month or so ago, your contribution, you and Val both, was recognized by GW, the MetaWatch article that was published on the community page. For you, Peter, how big a deal was that? 
It was massive. Um, that was a really big deal for me. When I first started this whole thing, I really didn't expect it to go there. Um, but it's what I wanted. I would, I would, like, I don't even know how to describe it now. I, I had a little Facebook uh, post about it, about how important it was to me, I think. Um, because it's it's like the culmination of, of what we were trying to do to make competitive 40K kind of legitimized um, to be able to tell this story, to say, you know, hey, this is how... This is stuff that's actually happening. Here's the patterns that we can see. They're real. Um, and to get that out there into the wider world, into such a large audience, whether no matter how they accepted it, just being able to to deliver that message felt so good. It was such a big deal. Uh, before you guys go, I've got to ask you about the uh, Las Vegas Nopen, which is, by the way, clever name. I was telling friends about it around here, and they're like, ha, that's a clever name. So how did this come see, about? Pete, see, <laughs> Hey, what? What? I never said it was a bad name. <laughs> okay, it's, it's my it's my probably my most significant claim to fame in this whole operation. So I'll let Pete take it away. So you came up with a name, okay. and then Pete's going to uh, tell us the rest. <laughs> yeah. So um, back in early December, after um, Reese and Frankie from Frontline Gaming announced that the uh, Las Vegas Open was um, officially canceled, um, myself. Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative, Val here, and Adam Camilleri from Art of War Down Under. Um, we'd had a continual chat going since last year's LVO when we ran um, like a secondary stream for it that we wanted to do something big this year. Unfortunately, coronavirus kind of kept us away from doing that. So this was, was our in. Um, as soon as the announcement went out, Paul sent a message uh, basically just saying, hey, do you think we could do something? Question mark And... My mind just went crazy, so I started messaging um, a lot of my contacts uh, in the community. Um, Bridger from Tabletop Titans. Um, I had Val talk to um, people that he knew, and we started just like getting together all these different streamers um, under the auspice of doing something um, that was COVID safe and that we could um, show the world. And I got, and I got to say that uh, as many interested streamers and content creators as we got. There were even more who, you know, uh, we we didn't ask first because we weren't. Ex I don't think I was expecting everyone to just wholeheartedly jump in with two feet. Um, so oh, there's yeah. so many more people who are really really keen to be able to participate. Who you know we just didn't have space for given the scope of what we were doing. So the the uh, support from the community for this has been really surprising. Absolutely and awesome. insane. Um, like I said, like I reached out to five or six people right away. I know Val did as well. Paul and, and Adam also started reaching out. And I don't think we had a no. And so um, we made a single elimination 16-person tournament. But uh, the big thing is, is once you win, you don't necessarily play your list in the next round. You actually send it off to another streamer or content provider, and they're going to stream it online. So we've got people like Vanguard Tactics in the UK, um, Glasshammer Gaming, uh, Art of War, Art of War Down Under, um, players from around the world, and they're playing games, and we're going to stream it live. We're going to have commentary from Paul Murphy and Adam Camilleri, um, and uh, a host of other people that we're going to bring on for interviews and to assist. And um, after they play their game, they're going to send their list off to, say, Brian and Adrian from Tabletop Titans. They're going to run that list in the next game. It's just such a great idea, and I love that. Just to explain to people who are listening, I've heard you, Pete, explain it a couple of times on on uh, on other shows, and so I've really got my head around it now. Say, for example, you mentioned Adam and uh, uh, sorry, Adrian and Brian. 
they play Death Guard versus whatever, Harlequins. Whichever one of those lists wins, let's say Death Guard wins, then you send that Death Guard list and another winning list that other people have used over to, say, Stephen and Jack at Vanguard, and they play two winning lists against each other, the Death Guard and the other one. And then, uh, But it's the same list that, say, Adrian used in... The Bay Area is getting used by Stephen in the UK. And then if it wins again, then he sends it on to someone else to play with until you get down to two lists left and they play a final. Have I got that right? You, you're you dead on. Nailed um, it. Nailed it. Um, if, if people are still a little confused, um, Hellstorm Wargaming, who is also helping us, they did, uh, uh, Mikey did an excellent uh, YouTube video that fully describes how it works with pictures. <laughs> and uh, he really, he really nailed it down. So I had a lot of people when I first um, explained it and when some others first explained it, didn't quite get it. They thought this was like a TTS event, uh, tabletop simulator, or they thought something else was going on. Um, Wait a minute, we could have. We could have just done this as a TTS event. That would have been so much easier. <laughs> this is great. And, no, I love it. And if, look, if, if people need, uh, as I do, pictures to help explain things, Mikey Herbert's very good at doing that. So yeah, definitely tune into that. So the, when is when is the event happening? Um, January 29th to 31st. The same okay. dates that would have been the Las Vegas Open. Okay. So in, in, uh, by the time this gets to air, that'll be in just a couple of days. So uh, we encourage people to tune in. And obviously this is to raise money for uh, charity. The LVO has always been uh, you know, a very charitable organization. So what's the money going to and how can we contribute? So um, we are raising money for the Coronavirus Relief Fund. It's run by a charity called Global Giving. Um, Global Giving is like this um, umbrella charity that tries to assist other charities below it, essentially. Um, and ever since uh, you know COVID-19 became a big deal, they've started this fund to uh, assist medical professionals um, in getting to areas that they normally cannot reach. Um, and providing them with the equipment they need so that they can, you know, assist cities, uh, towns in just kind of remote areas or even places that like are generally fine, but now they're overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, it's a, a really excellent um, charity. All of the money that we give to them goes directly to this. Um, one thing we were very cautious of was making sure that these charities had really good ratings that they were very open about where their money goes um and uh, global giving was like in the in the the very top echelon of those so so that was the charity we chose to go with the one Sorry. of the great things uh, about how how it's been set up is that actually if you go to the uh, lasvegasnopen.net um you'll be able to actually go to a portal there and make your donation directly to them so this is not something where we're handling any of the money you're right. not trusting us to make the donation this is going straight to the charity um, however, it's all going to be uh, tracked on a nice landing page. So we'll be able to see exactly the impact the community can make. And then uh, driving behind that, we've also got um, some other great things uh, to, to get people participated and excited. Frontline Gaming, uh, obviously uh, the guys who uh, would have been running the Las Vegas Open have really stepped up with some uh, an amazing prize, which is a $1,000 Frontline Gaming shopping spree. Um, that's payable to anybody in the world. We've got uh, stuff from Army Painter, Pete went out and grabbed, uh, so I guess I should say 40kstats.com is providing a battle force. Um, and uh, I, uh, Probably like six battle forces now, but it's, <clears throat> there's a lot. Yeah, We do have other ways that we're providing to the charity. We did uh, create um, Las Vegas Nopen swag, so there's shirts and hats um, that are available uh, via our website um, through the support of uh, Alpha Omega Hobby. It's a large hobbying store on the east coast of the United States in Massachusetts. And um, we also have a custom three, um, 
neoprene objective markers that we had made for all of the streamers. People are able to purchase those from 3D6 Wargaming. And um, I believe 15% of the proceeds, which is basically whatever 3D6 Wargaming would normally make, um, that is also going towards the charity when this is all said and done. Great stuff. Guys, thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, thank you for having us. Great show, Mr. Joel. My thanks to Val Heffelfinger and Peter the Falcon Colosimo. The website for all of the information on the Las Vegas Nopen is lasvegasnopen.net. Next week on the program, we speak to former world number one and pioneer of 40K coaching, Nick Nanavati. We'll hear the amazing story behind him being called the Tom Brady of 40K. Believe me, you don't want to miss that. I'm Steve Joel, and this has been 40K Game Changers. Game Changers.